Chapter 30 Challenge Plans Once cleanup, what little of it there was, was finished, and the skimmers sent ahead, we finally headed out. Our next camp spot was just past the herdlord's territory because we decided not to break camps on his land. There was too much uncertainty involved, and chances we would be welcomed with those that knew of the lord's actions and betrayal seemed unlikely. It was more likely that we would find ourselves under siege. The Kelpie that we were escorting had remained patient. Even the fowls managed to restrain their exuberance. Silently watching as the inspector conducted his investigation, they had shown little emotion, a steadfastness that seemed to belie the skittish nature of horses. Of course, they were an entirely different species, but I thought some characteristics would bleed over. What worried me somewhat was the fowl's behavior. They still seemed wary and uncertain, afraid to stray too far from their parents. I worried how badly they had been abused and mistreated to keep them from behaving like children, children full of energy and life. It rekindled my anger when I thought about the damage to psyche these innocents must have been subjected to. Even if they had not been physically abused, they had been forced to endure and observe as their parents were. As we headed out, Blaine fell into formation next to me, taking the time to inform me that we would arrive at the Herdlord's settlement around dusk or shortly thereafter. We had anticipated arriving soon after the evening meal, but recent events would delay our arrival. Not by much. The time of our arrival was only slightly delayed, the weather conditions were still great, and would not affect travel. We should still manage to beat the setting sun, since that was the case, I decided there was no need to move the proposed campsite. Once Blaine was certain that I was informed about our arrival time and willing to maintain the existing plans and schedule, he and the other Kelpie galloped ahead to take the lead. They were proficient in blazing a trail for the rest of us to follow in those instances when foliage became obstinate and thick. Their endurance and stamina were prodigious. Even the fowl seemed tireless. The Kelpie species were well-suited and adapted for extreme distance traveling. Terrain seemed little import in how they reacted, straightforward and bull-rushing when things got dense. It made me wonder if there might not be a bit of minotaur stubbornness blended into their genetic makeup. Any joy and wonder I'd had while enjoying the scenery and nature that we bypassed as we traveled were forgotten. The trip became more about duty than pleasure. Banter and discussion between all members of the group were truncated, often nothing more than suggestions between party members on best routes to avoid naturally made obstacles. The closer we came to herd lands, the more perplexed I became. There was no gradual progression from wild and untamed lands to those that had been civilized and farmed. No gradual increase in buildings and farms, no signs of towns or villages to suggest that we were approaching civilization of any kind, let alone the herd's settlement. It wasn't until Blaine led us to the top of a small hill and signaled for his family and those of us following him to pause that the landscape changed. Hurt Hagen, he said, as he cast his gaze down upon the lands below. Moving to join him, I searched the valley, looking for anything familiar something that would identify this land as a community. We'd arrived slightly later than we'd anticipated, but the sun had yet to set. 
The last golden rays bathe the valley in warmth. Fields of grain, wheat, and oats wave gently in the breeze. Kernels golden and bustling, with life and vitality needed to be harvested. Fields of clover, hay, and triticale were just beginning to sprout. Late-season crops more suited for fall and winter. A scattering of ponds and a small lake could be seen. The only habitable buildings were located near that body of water. There was a pier that extended into the lake with an attached warehouse, probably used for processing water crops and fish. I saw no technology, no skimmers, farm combines, or fishing vessels. Farming and fishing were done by hand. The Kelpie's ability to shapeshift allowed them to expertly gather fish and crops as needed, magic replacing machinery when necessary. There doesn't seem to be many people around, I said, interrupting Blaine's surveillance. Most are probably in the lake, he explained. The days are long, and as night approaches, Kelpie families like to gather and refresh themselves by soaking in an underground hot spring. The natural spring that feeds the lake. There are a few workers scattered here and there, a few still in the fields, but don't make the mistake of equating the herd settlement with Lord Kell's city. The two have very little in common. Kelpie herds number in the tens of thousands, not the hundreds of thousands or millions. You could expect to find in cities. At the most, there might be 20,000 people. That is why just a few are required when a herd split. We are expected to see an offshoot colony by recruiting the spares and extras from other herds. The few become the many as news spreads that a new settlement has formed. Younger males and females disgruntled with the pace of established herds seek out these new colonies. It is this fresh infusion of blood, ideas, and vitality that has allowed our species to thrive. Where should we search for the herd lord? I asked. That won't be necessary, Blaine assured me. Scouts and lookouts have already informed him of our approach. The entire settlement leaders, as well as any curious Kelpie nearby, will gather to meet with us by the time we approach the Elder Hall. Herd Lord Hagen will be inside the building waiting. He won't deign to meet with us until welcome has been given or challenge has been offered. Protocols are uniform amongst the herds. Standard practices exist for meeting all new arrivals. A group of elders will first greet us and establish if we come in peace, and if not, then what our intentions are. They will know who I am, but will be unable to admit they recognize me. When we left the herd, we severed relationships with those we left behind. We are not outcasts. We are simply not of herd again he explained. You will be ignored at first, Blaine continued. Don't take this as a slight or offense. The herd and leaders will not know me, but they know of me. They know that I and the rest 
split from the herd to begin a new life. And they will know that our agreement with Kel Fife and her Dagen included trade agreements. Some may wonder at our return, but those Lord Hagen has trusted will know the truth. They will be expecting a challenge. There is no other course of action for us or them. There are rules that must be followed for a ritual challenge. Rules that constrain both parties. All non-member Kelpie, male or female, ascended or those still striplings, are allowed the right to challenge. Once the challenge has been made and accepted, discussions and terms can be agreed upon. I intend to give challenge in such a way that his actions are made known to all. I will denounce her Lord Hagen and detail the events of the past year that he knowingly sold us into slavery and that he and his conspired with Lord Gell's son, Thom, to remove any he sought my challenge his position as her Lord. You and the rest of the group should be safe under the laws of challenge, both during and after. But his corruption is worrisome. He should not have forsaken his honor so egregiously as to sell Kelpie into slavery. It is best to expect deceit and trickery, perhaps a surprise attack or assassination attempt. At that time, I will make known my intent. I intend to invoke blood challenge and let the herd know that I intend to root out the corruption and claim the herd for my own. There will be no room for compromise. Hagen or I will not survive this day. One of us will be either dead or severely wounded and cast out. He finished determinedly. Is there no role for me or mine in this challenge? I asked. You may only stand witness to the proceedings. If I fail, you and yours are exempt from retribution. This is a personal challenge, not war. Or at least you should be safe, Blaine said, uncertainty showing up for the first time in his words and facial expressions. Be ready if I do fail. You will be expected to leave the colony immediately. They will not extend guest privileges or make you welcome. You will be branded with the same brush as the rest of us, considered sympathizers and supporters. I would ask a favor. He hesitated, unsure of how I would respond. The children should be safe. See, revere all children. But her Lord Hagen has proved to be dishonorable. His people may target you and the children during or after the battle to manipulate or hold hostage those I hold most precious. You have given much, allowing us to regain our freedom, escorting us here, demonstrating that not all silly are duplicitous and ignoble. And yet, I would ask one further boon. Until challenge has been answered and settled, until you have received guest privileges, or are required to remove yourself and those with you from herd lands, 
Consider the children your ward. Protect them so they cannot be used as blackmail or leverage against me during or after my fight. And if I should fall during the challenge, accept them as part of your household. Find some way for them to serve until they have ascended and are capable of standing firm in their own right, he pleaded. His request seemed simple on the surface, but the faith and honor he placed with me was anything but. His interaction with Seely recently had been one of fear, pain, and mistrust. He knew me a matter of days, and in those few days he had seldom spoken. Yet for some reason he thought he could trust that I would protect the lives of his children, that they would be safe in my hands. Seely were demonstrative people, so the tears that gathered and fell as I pondered his request were unremarkable to those that noticed. I found the lump in my throat along with the warmth in my heart grew as I remembered past memories. My younger sister having a car accident and being severely handicapped. My decision to drop out of medical school to help provide medical care and seek work to pay the crushing debt her care required. And the fierce love and happiness our family experienced as she took her first steps said her first words after waking from her coma, and the joy I felt when she allowed me to walk her down the aisle. The honor I felt as I passed on the duty to care and love her to the man she loved unconditionally. I knew intellectually that this wasn't the same, but emotionally, in the recesses of my heart, I experienced the same feelings of accomplishment and pride. I was jubilant, honored, was too simple a word to contain the emotions I felt. I was profoundly moved by his request and wanted instinctively to completely agree. I had already discovered that children had a purity and directness that fostered attachment, sentiment, and love. Like the Seely, I had always revered and taken delight in their openness and innocence. The few times I had fought back against evil in my previous life were when I felt children were being abused or neglected. There is nothing more heart-wrenching than the tears and cries of a child in fear or need. Nothing more horrific than seeing a young life damaged because of neglect or abuse. Blaney did not turn from me or pretend not to see my tears as he waited for my response. He saw nothing shameful in my actions or emotions. Instead, my tears were tangible proof that I understood exactly what it was he was asking, and the onus that accepting this responsibility would place on me. I didn't immediately say yes. I wanted to, but I didn't because I was unsure if I was interpreting his question and my responsibilities correctly. I was looking at this from the perspective of my precious life. My frame of reference was skewed towards earth and earth habits. I needed to be certain I wasn't misunderstanding the request or the expectation that accepting his request would place on me and mine. Carrot, is he asking me to essentially adopt and accept into my house the children if he dies in battle? Why wouldn't his wife take over, raising and rearing them? Partly, Carrot answered. 
he is asking you to accept them into your house as fosterlings. You are not required to adopt them. He is asking for protection, that you provide safety and support until they are able to ascend. Not that you add them to your line and include inheritance rights for them. His request makes sense because he knows what will happen to his wife if he falls. Kelpie herds are strictly patriarchal. His wife, if he falls in battle, becomes a part of the herd lord's house. She would become an underwife, or she could choose to disavow that relationship and be branded a heretic, one who refuses to accept herd law. The children should be safe either way, but there would be a stigma that develops amongst their peers. Children can often be cruel. They parrot the words and beliefs of their parents. If he fails to win the challenge, his children would grow up in an environment of derision and contempt as the other children mocked and harassed them as the fowls of one who was idiotic enough or foolhardy enough to think he was capable of defeating the herd lord. Satisfied that I understood the situation, that Blaney's request was not capricious or impulsive, but instead based on real need and worry, I gave my answer. You do me much honor to place those most vulnerable in my trust. I will remember and repay this faith with faith, trust with trust. Trust that your request has merit. Trust that your thoughts and intentions are for the benefit of your children. And trust that this duty that you have requested is one of esteem. I say to you, settle your mind, and I return that trust. I will protect those you have placed under my banner until you stand proudly, the champion of the coming challenge, and have proven the legitimacy of your actions. Betrayals must be answered for, for actions do have consequences. But be settled, your children will be safe, I finally assured him. My people and I will protect them to our last breath. And if you should fall in challenge, they will be treasured members of my house. I will see them as strong and capable adults. Compelled to act by the same force that directed me when I accepted Cedric as my vassal, I withdrew my knife from my spatial ring. I made a fast slash across my palm and extended the bleeding appendage towards Blaney. Surprised, he quickly followed suit, and as our blood mingled, the magic stirred, and the system witnessed our new alliance. I was not creating a new vassal. I was creating a new ally. He and his would not fall under my banner, but in times of need, we could call on each other. The ties were more nebulous than that of vassal, for when called, choice remained, and the call could be refused. Word said, actions made, there was nothing left but to go forward. With that, Blaney began leading the other adult Kelpie, those few who had stood in silent witness to our actions, toward his future and theirs, win or lose. The coming challenge would change his life and that of the herd.